Outdoor Supplies CAODC podcast for May 2020. I'm John Baker. Thank you again for joining us and we hope you're all doing well. Uh, I believe we're just over two months into the pandemic shutdown in Canada. And in many communities, it seems things are slowly beginning to open up again. Um, We are back in the office here at CAODC. And I've heard from a few people actually that uh, they're heading back to work in at least some capacity. Um, It's not super busy in downtown Calgary where we are right now, but uh, actually (laughs) it's been kind of nice uh, because getting downtown has has been light as far as traffic goes. And I think a lot of people are are feeling like that when they they go out and about and they can get around quickly, it's kind of nice. But we certainly all wanna be heading back to normal activity and probably won't be too depressed about traffic for a little while when things get back to normal you know you kind of forget how good you have it even when uh, you're backed up in traffic on the Deerfoot. <laughs> so yeah hopefully uh, everyone is doing well um, obviously Calgary and Brooks were outliers in, in western Canada and most other areas are actually a lot further along which is terrific and uh, you know we've got bars and restaurants and retail outlets opening up uh, all across uh, Western Canada and probably across Canada as a whole. Another bit of good news is uh, the steady recovery of oil pricing. Um, last month we were recording just after seeing WTI hit negative territory. We were doing the podcast and uh, that was of course the first time in history we've seen those numbers and it was a bit of a shock but uh, today it's uh, May 20 and we're sitting at WTI and just over $28 WCS according to oilprice.com so that's a nice little recovery from negative 38 that we saw last month so hopefully that trend is uh, going to continue. Um, We know the huge drop in oil pricing was yet another opportunity for industry opponents to make a little hay and of course we heard from the usual suspects about how this is an ideal time to get the world off of oil and gas. And, you know, the argument still doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, especially right now, because, you know, we've seen such a huge demand drop recently. And when you look at the overall numbers, I think we're only down around 30 percent, hovering in around the uh, 70 million barrel per day level. And so when you hear people like, Green Party leader Elizabeth May and Bloc Québécois leader Yves Blanchet come out and say that oil is dead. It's just so hard to figure out where they're coming from. I mean, 70 million uh, barrels per day we're consuming in probably the biggest demand decline we've seen, certainly in our lifetimes, but in in, uh, historical terms, it's a massive drop. And we're still using that much uh, oil on a daily basis. So... It's just kind of different uh, thinking for sure. Um, and something like the term energy transition, uh, I think they believe it means transitioning away from fossil fuel altogether. But as we're highlighting in our oil respect campaign right now, any energy transition, when you get to the other side, whatever that is, you're still going to need oil and gas. And um You know, we know that we're nearing maximum efficiency limits for wind and solar improvements already. 
Uh, I believe it's the Betts limit for wind and the uh, Shockley-Kessier limit for solar. And those are just the, you know, the limits set by physics that say that you can only get so much efficiency out of those technologies. And we still see such a small portion of global demand being met by those two energy options. And so, of course, you know, there are other green alternatives like hydro, like nuclear. But often, you know, you'll hear that these areas in the world are 100% renewable, et cetera, et cetera. And what they're not telling you is that it's likely hydro, it's likely nuclear that's meeting the huge baseload. And you're still only getting small increments as far as wind and solar goes. So not to mention, of course, the fact that uh, fossil fuels are required to make solar panels. They're required to make wind turbines. So to think that uh, oil is dead or to think that coal or natural gas can just be phased out altogether, it's just not true based on, on the science today. Yet here we are with, uh, you know, people like Elizabeth May and uh, Yves Blanchet. They're getting national coverage all the time and fueling activists with their message that Canadian oil and gas is a sunset industry. And right now, that's not a good message. You know, our, our country, um, Canadians need oil and gas right now. Uh, they need the jobs. They need the tax revenues to come from our industry. It's a huge portion of our GDP, and it needs to be strong and resilient so that we can recover from this massive economic downturn that we've seen. I mean, huge unemployment numbers all over the place. Uh, Alberta has been impacted quite hard, as we know, uh, but right across the country, people have lost their jobs. And this isn't the time to be uh, trying to run down one of Canada's most prosperous industries, that's for sure. So to address some of these comments, uh, we have a very special guest this month, none other than Alberta Minister of Energy, the Honourable Sonia Savage. Minister Savage joins us to share her views on these negative industry comments and also give us some updates on industry topics such as the site reclamation program that started the beginning of May in Alberta and also the Trans Mountain pipeline expansion. So, and speaking of the site reclamation program, we hope things are going well for you service rig members listening. Uh, we know you've been applying for grants and we've had a few calls in the past couple of weeks. Um, and we hope that that process is going well and some contracts are being signed and applications are being processed. Uh, as of today, we haven't had an update on Saskatchewan and BC uh, for site reclamation, but we're watching those provinces and we will let you know as soon as we have any updates. And of course, as soon as we get any information on uh, anything in Alberta, whether applications have been processed or um, I believe the new tranche of uh, Applications actually is supposed to be accepted this week. So any information we get, uh, know that we are always passing it along your way. So before we get to our conversation with Minister Savage, let's get into this month's CAODC industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by CAODC Rig Data. CAODC Rig Data is the most accurate and up-to-date data on the Canadian drilling and service rig sector. If you would like more information on how to access CAODC rig data, check out our website at caodc.ca. 
All right, on the drilling side, in April we had only 766 operating days compared with 1,908 in April of 2019 for a decrease of 60% year over year. Active rigs for the month averaged 28, down from 75 in 2019, or a decrease of 8,225 jobs year over year. Our registered drilling rig fleet remains at 512 compared to 549 this time last year. And we have lost two land drilling members in that span, bringing our total land drilling membership to 25 contractors. Uh, clearly, these are record lows through breakup given all that has happened recently. Programs and spending were cut heavily in Q1 as pricing collapsed and as we move through the second quarter, things just aren't rebounding yet, but pricing is getting better and there's hope for Q3 and Q4. Um, keep in mind that our market access prospects continue to improve and progress is being made on pipelines. And these dramatic production decreases that we're seeing right now, um, that'll need to be rectified once demand starts to pick up and we see life returning to more normal levels in the coming months. Provincially in April, Alberta averaged 65% of active rigs, BC 27% and Saskatchewan 7%, as opposed to 2019 where Alberta had 82% of active rigs, BC 14% and Saskatchewan 4%. So it looks like BC's picked up some market share in April this year to the tune of about 13%. And it's also interesting to see that BC has been busier than Saskatchewan in April. Uh, for the past couple of years, which if you've been listening to the show, you know that typically it's uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and then BC as far as uh, percentages go. But this time of year, it seems like BC has a bit more activity than Saskatchewan for whatever reason. Uh, currently, we have 22 active rigs listed out of a registered fleet of 512, which sets a new record low <laughs> for active rigs and is a pretty stark indication of how bad things are in the sector right now. On the service side, operating hours in April were down 77% over 2019 totals. April of this year, we saw only 13,837 hours versus 60,464 in 2019, or a decrease of 46,809 operating hours. Month over month, we had uh, 73,016 op hours in March so we're down 59,179 hours or 81% entering Q2. Uh, the working rig count on the service side in April was 154 this year, down from 389 in April of 2019. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, the numbers aren't good, but keep in mind, these are lagging indicators. And you know, on the service side, we, we do have the site reclamation program that just kicked off the beginning of this month. Um, we know the applications are being processed. A lot of people were, uh, were in there. They received a ton of applications. The objective is to get people back to work. So hopefully that goes well. We can get uh, some rigs out the door. And of course, um, early Q2 is typically the slowest time of year anyway for drilling and service rig contractors. So don't be too disheartened by the, the numbers. They're not great, but uh, things uh, will hopefully get better this year. Our industry update is brought to you by CAODC Rig Data. CAODC Rig Data is the most accurate and up-to-date data on the Canadian drilling and service rig sector. 
If you would like more information on how to access CAODC rig data, check out our website at caodc.ca. Okay, so please stick around. Um, you know, a little bit of negativity there, but guess what? After the break, we chat with the Honorable Sonia Savage, Alberta Minister of Energy, who is an incredibly smart person. And she always brings a pragmatic and positive message for those of us in Canadian oil and gas. So stick around. Wealthcore is proud to support those who are working hard to keep our country running. Proud to be a Canadian-owned welding filler metal supply company in a country that has the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world. Wellcore supports ethical oil. Wellcore supports the Canadian oil and gas sector. The world needs ethical oil. The world needs Canadian oil. Let Wellcore Supplies help you make that happen. Welcome back to the Wellcore Supplies CAODC podcast. This month we have a very special guest. Alberta Minister of Energy, the Honourable Sonia Savage. Thank you very much for joining us during such a busy time, Minister. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that. First off, we want to say thank you very much for your leadership, uh, for being so open to listening to the concerns of our members and the oil and gas services sector in particular. Uh, you've been working very closely with uh, coming in for meetings, talking to our members. Uh, we were looking forward to hosting you as the keynote speaker at our event, which was unfortunately cancelled, but uh, we were selling tickets like hotcakes. And, uh, you know, the industry really appreciates uh, your presence as minister and in helping us improve uh, during such a tough environment. So thanks for that. Well, thanks. I really appreciate uh, uh, speaking with your members. Uh, you can't get more through Albertan and the member companies that you have, they're entrepreneurs, and it helps. Uh, it helps us. It helps me in in uh, the daily decisions we have to make to really understand what's happening on the ground. And the uh, your your members are so candid, telling us what's happening. So I really appreciate that. And that's something that I'd like to touch on a little later on in, in the interview, just in terms of uh, you know some of the reluctance uh, when it comes to funding. And some of the complaints that uh, you know the funding goes towards these large corporations and, and not uh, getting to regular Canadians. And as you were mentioning there, um, our membership is uh, the majority of our members are small businesses and rural communities in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Western Canada. And so, yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, our province built our country, and that's uh, that's what puts bread on our tables tables yeah. for all of us. Yeah. So. April 30th, 2019, um, just over a year ago, you were sworn in as Alberta's Minister of Energy and Deputy House Leader. It's now just over a year later, and have you had any sleep at all? <laughs> well, it's, you know what, it's, the whole last year has been a bit, of a, a bit of a blur. It's been pretty busy right from day one. Um, sometimes if I, if I look back and think, what, what was I doing a year ago? What were, were we working on? Sometimes it seems like it was a decade ago. Um, the next day, it seems like it was just last week. Um, there's been no concept of time, uh, no concept of time. Things have moved so so fast, and day to day, you just uh, you're just moving, you're running. So it's uh, it's been quite a venture. But I, I I knew what I was getting into. I knew the state of I'd worked in the energy industry for a lot of years, and I knew the state the state of it. I knew uh, knew the pace, knew the knew the issues. So I can't say that that it wasn't expected that it would be that busy. So current news, uh, last week, Elizabeth May 
Yves Blanchette, they come out against the oil and gas industry yet again, which is no surprise. Um, but the question I have for you is the oil, oil is dead story. It's we know it's not a surprise from them, but you travel across the country. You talk to politicians, your colleagues, the federal government. Is this story gaining any traction with regular Canadians or is it still something that really only resonates with the small percentages who support parties like the Green Party and uh, the Bloc Québécois? You mean the, the oil is dead story? The oil is dead story, yes. No, it is not gaining resonance with, uh, with uh, ordinary Canadians. And I think it's because Canadians need to drive to get to work, to get to anywhere. They need uh, energy to heat their homes. Um, they're just trying to get by. Um, Canadians are just trying to get by living in the real world. Um, and the world that Elizabeth May lives in and gives her the luxury to say oil is dead is not their world. It's not Canadians' world. It's not our world because we're living in the real world just trying to get by. Um, and, uh, you know, it certainly isn't going to resonate with the 800,000 Canadians that work in the energy sector. So I, I don't know it's uh, what world she lives in, but it's certainly not connected to the everyday reality that Canadians live in. Yeah. And that's, you know, it just seems so odd that it could be so plausible to people, just given the amount of oil and gas we use as a society um, and what it does for Canadians in terms of uh, jobs and tax revenues, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that's probably why when you hear something like that, particularly in our industry, it, it can be so frustrating. Um, how would you gauge the province's mood with respect to our relationship with BC and Eastern Canada in the context of that? Because, um, you know, I think that perhaps maybe the media overblows it a little bit, but, uh, you know, Western Canadians are, they seem to be feeling frustrated. Would you agree with that or, or what's your take on it? Well, I think, I think our relationship with, uh, you know, with Quebec and with BC is actually improving with the people in the provinces, even with their, even even with their political leaders and other than you know there's some the fringe radical left uh folks that are out there i think that uh canadians in in those provinces understand uh, understand uh western canada and really uh it's it's not just bc and and quebec i mean there's nut bars all over the place across canada and those are the the people they're they're very much on the fringe, but I, I do think uh, our relationship with Quebec and BC, um, the the provinces has actually improved. Well, that's good news, and I think while we we've seen an indication recently uh, with the federal government coming through with 1.7 billion in support for uh, site reclamation, um, which is fantastic. So obviously that's a very overt show of support for our industry and uh, on behalf of our members, I wanted to say thank you very much for your government's approach to distributing the funds uh, for that um, and, and especially making service companies a priority in the process, which is uh, huge. I mean, a lot of excitement among our membership. I know that uh, it's early days in, in the program. How do you feel like uh, the site reclamation um, application, et cetera, is going. I don't know how close you are to that, and it, it only started last Monday, but uh, can you give us some comments there? Well, we're, we're pretty excited about the program. It's uh, meant to be a job creation program 
we anticipate it could put as many as 5,300 Albertans back to work. And at the same time, it has the benefit of uh, of also being an environmental program to clean up uh, uh, clean up inactive wells that are that aren't you know expired beyond their productive life life cycle. So it's been a been a terrific a win win program. Um, putting people back to work, cleaning up some environmental uh, issues. So it's there's been, and we moved quickly. We moved quickly. Within one week of, of learning that the funds were going to become available, we'd been working on it for months, many months with the federal government, trying to to uh, to uh, um, lobby them to get uh, to put a fund together. Um, but within one week of them announcing there'd be a billion dollar funds for inactive wells. We announced what the program was going to look like within one week. And one week later, we had a website up and going to take applications and start rolling it out. And that's because it's a job creation program. We need to get people back to work quickly. Um, but the, the, uh, uptake on it has been really, it's been quite overwhelming. There's been, uh, over 24,000 applications, individual applications. Over 400 companies have registered to, uh, to, to do work to try to get con- contracts. And I think that just shows, uh, the state of how badly people in Alberta want, want jobs. How, uh, how companies, um, need to, you know, need to find work. So it's been quite an overwhelming uptake. I bet, and uh, you know that's I've been we've been getting a lot of calls uh, on the application process, and, and one of the comments I've been making is that you know you would think it's going to take quite a while to uh, go through a billion dollars, so you know we know some of the bugs that may exist right now will certainly be worked out as more and more people become familiar with the program um, and and figure out how the application process works, how to to work with different stakeholders involved and, and uh, get things rolling. So, yeah, it is exciting times for the service uh, service sector. And, and uh, one of the biggest reasons is the fact that, you know, we have a huge labor force uh, issue. And, you know, not having steady work for, for quite a while, we've lost so many uh, skilled uh, workers. And so it'll be nice to be able to say, look, we can anticipate a couple of years out that there will be work. So, you know, you don't have to worry about only getting two months here or a month there or three weeks there. Uh, so that I think is probably one of the, the best parts about it. Um, how, how long would you anticipate something like this running? Well, we think a billion dollars goes a long way. We're going to roll it out in tranches of a hundred million dollars um, just because it, with each, uh, each tranche we'll be able to fix any, any uh, technical issues or any questions, we'll be able to fine-tune it and tweak the program. Uh, so a uh, billion dollars will go a long way. So we're anticipating that um, there'll be work until right through 2022, up to, uh, to, to 2022. So it's a, it's a longer-term program. And by that time, by that time, we're, we should be in a, a much better price environment for, for oil that we can get, uh, get production back get people back to, to, to work. I mean, we've got a huge amount of people out of work right now because of the, uh, you know, the, the destruction of price in, in oil and the destruction of demand. Um, it's just not economic right now. 
And so we've got uh, rigs sitting idle. We've got people out of work. So by 2022, we're 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 pretty confident that we'll be bringing bringing jobs back online with with uh, in production. So this will keep uh, this will keep these people busy until then. Mm-hmm. And that's an excellent segue into uh, some questions on pipelines. Um, for our listeners who don't know, you have a Master of Laws in Environment and Energy and have worked for both Enbridge and the Canadian Energy Pipeline Association. So you have a unique and extremely knowledgeable perspective on pipelines. Uh, my first question for you there is, why do you think the activists have been so effective in Canada? And what do we need to be doing better as an industry in terms of overcoming some of the objections to pipelines? Well, I think probably the the activists have been so effective because the industry has been so ineffective. Um, we were not anticipating it. A decade ago, uh, nobody really saw it coming. Uh, they they uh, outsmarted the entire industry. They mapped out a strategy um, to landlock the oil sands. They had the luxury of time and mapped out a strategy. Nobody saw it coming. And by the time it was, they, they saw something happen, it was in full, full on implementation and they were in full on attack, uh, Northern Gateway Pipeline, um, Keystone XL was under attack. It was, uh, Trans Mountain was just starting and, and, uh, Energy East was just starting. So I think they got ahead of everyone and, uh, industry is nice. We try to, to try to, try to make friends with everyone and tried to talk reason to some of these environmental activists. There was no reason to be, there was no negotiation with them. Their, their goal was to shut down the oil sands. So I think they were, they were effective because, uh, the industry was not prepared. And at that time, they didn't have, uh, governments that were, were, um, were prepared either. And then for four years, you had governments in Ottawa and, uh, the NDP government in Alberta who were aligned with the environmental activists. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of damage was done. Mm-hmm. Interesting that uh, last week the announcement that Irving was going to be shipping oil all the way around the long way uh, to be taking some stuff off our hands out here. And we got some really good uh, press on Energy East. Do you think that that might gain a little bit of traction again here or is that one pretty much in your opinion kind of done well it was pretty ridiculous to to, to say how are we going to get oil from alberta to the east coast but we're going to ship it all the way because energy east was was canceled we're going to ship it all the way down by pipeline to the gulf of mexico put it on put on tankers go through the panama canal and come out the other side and up the east coast like, like I've never heard of anything so utterly ridiculous ever, um, but that's uh, that's what happens when when uh, good projects get canceled because of um, opposition. Yeah, and and of course some of this uh, misinformation again. I mean, getting back to Elizabeth May, she's talking about the fact that there's no market for bitumen. Uh, when, when of course there is, and and uh, I mean, several years ago we you were out that way. down to the Gulf of Mexico and visit some refineries. <laughs> you should go into Pad Two into the into the mid U.S. and see refineries. We send 3.8 million barrels a day into the United States, and most of it is heavy oil from the oil sands. 
and it's used and it's refined into products all all across the United States. And for her to say there's no demand for bitumen, has she not been to the United States? I don't know. She's on a plane. Every time you, you see her tweeting, she's been on a plane flying all over the place. Has she not been to the United States to see what they refine their gasoline from? Anyways, I go on a rant. The hypocrisy is just beyond comprehension. Yeah, it's it's hard to understand sometimes. That is for sure. Um, Trans Mountain, can you? I mean, it's it, the uh, Alberta portion is is uh, going along quite well, and I've, I've read recently that we're almost in, or actually in BC. Can you give us a bit of an update there? Well, I think from from what I understand is we've got about fifty fifty seven percent of the uh, spread. The first spread, spread one, which is near Greater Edmonton area, is complete, and then the rest of Alberta, along spread two through Yellowhead, um, is under underway. So it's the construction is well underway, um, notwithstanding COVID. I think there's safety measures employed, but construction is going is going well. Um, I, I, it's moving along. I feel very, very, very confident about uh, Trans Mountain moving forward. And they have an yeah. excellent team over there. That's just—I mean, imagine all the years that they've they've been working on that project. I think of Ian Anderson, how hard he's been working on that project for years and years and years, and he's still there and he's plugging along, and it's now getting built. Like I just—that's uh, the kind of grit and determination where we have in some of our our leaders in the in this industry is is uh, terrific. Yeah, he's got to feel great about that. Finally, uh, making some some real progress here. Um, do you anticipate any more issues as far as protests go in BC, or have we kind of turned the corner there? Well, it's uh, who who knows. I mean, now is a great time to be building a pipeline because you can't have protests of more than fifteen people. So it's <laughs> true. Uh, let's get it built. Let's yeah. get it built. But you know what? As we, as we go on and we get out of the, um, you know, out of the the uh, more immediate uh, phases of COVID, um, people across Canada, across BC, Alberta, are not going to have the tolerance and patience for protests that get in the way of people working, of of, of jobs. Like we're 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 we believe we're going to be north of twenty percent unemployment. As we get out of COVID, as we get into the summer and out of COVID, people need jobs. We're, we're going to be the country and it's going to be hundreds of billions of dollars in debt, deficits, Alberta's deficits going up. People need jobs. People need economic activity. And uh, these types of ideological protests that get in the way um, are just not going to be tolerated by ordinary Canadians. Ordinary Canadians who are just trying to get by. Yeah. Well, we have such an opportunity with this industry to really help the country as a whole rebuild. Um, and you talk about those unemployment numbers, and those are scary, and those are just the ones that the surveys, et cetera, are capturing. I mean, there's so many more out there who have uh, been out of work for, for long before the uh, pandemic ever ever started. So um, we need to embrace our resource industries, and uh, in particular the oil and gas industry, because it can do so much uh, to help us to help us uh, come out of this thing. Well, and the one thing, you know, in the last couple of months that I've I've learned, um, you know, as we've gone through a lot of, you know, destruction in the price of oil, and I was had the 
the uh, privilege of being invited to participate in an OPEC plus call. Um, what you really learn in that and, um, is that, you know, it, it just really brings home that if we don't produce the oil here in Canada, if we leave a barrel of, of oil in the ground in Canada, it's just going to be pulled out of the ground somewhere else in the world. Like that's that's the reality. As long as the world needs oil and the world does continue to need fossil fuels, even if we are uh, getting an increased uh, um, percentage of renewables into the mix, the world is still reliant upon uh, uh, fossil fuels. But if we don't produce it here, somebody else is going to produce it. And that's just the reality. Yeah, oh, it is. And it's tough because we know that some Albertans and even the diehard oil and gas uh, people in, in Alberta and Western Canada, I think are, you know, are asking themselves about the future of this industry. So what would you say to those people? I mean, you just mentioned the fact that it's going to be around for a while. Um, if they're thinking about leaving the industry, finding a new career, uh, what would you say to them? Well, I, I would say, you know, oil and gas products are going to be around for a very long time. Um, there's not a, a, you know, a better job than working in the oil and gas sector. It's meaningful employment. It's, it's lucrative employment. Um, it's coming back. We will, uh, we will see the, uh, the industry come back. We're going to see the price come back as we, uh, as we come out of COVID and we get beyond the, uh, the glut of oil that's on the market right now and start clearing storage. Price is going to come back and with that, jobs will come back. And as we move forward out of it, um, we're going to have increased uh, pipeline capacity. So some of the problems that have been, uh, you know, around Alberta for the last five years of not having enough pipeline capacity, we're moving, we're making great progress with that, with Trans Mountain being built now. Enbridge's Line 3 is under construction and KXL is moving forward. So we're, we'll be in a good place. Well, that is a very positive message to end on. Uh, Minister Savage, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you joining us on the Wealth Core Supplies CAODC podcast. Uh, have a terrific week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the May edition of the Wealth Core Supplies CAODC podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, a big thank you to our special guest, Alberta Energy Minister, the Honorable Sonia Savage. Uh, that was fantastic to have her for about a half an hour during uh, <laughs> the busy, busy time she is having right now. So thank you, Minister. We appreciate it. Our members uh, really appreciate what you're doing for the industry. And thank you to our sponsor, Wealthcore Supplies, filler metal experts. We hope that you have a great month and we look forward to another podcast next month. So please join us. If you like what you hear, give us a like or a share. We are available on Apple Podcasts now as well as Spotify and our website, caobc.ca. So thank you very much for listening. Let's hope things get better and better. And until next time, keep it turning to the right.